dazzling clothes, talking clouds, the voice of God, fiery chariots, whirlwinds. It's Transfiguration Sunday. The last Sunday of the season we call Epiphany. Elijah ascends to heaven in a whirlwind, and Jesus transfigures on a mountaintop in clothes so white that tide is envious. <laughs> there is nothing subtle about these spectacular stories. But here's the odd thing. These are not happy stories. As miraculous and light-filled as they are, each story is threaded with confusion and loss and sorrow. Embedded in each story is a threshold, a boundary line marking both a beginning and an end. And let's face it, we humans rarely approach thresholds without hesitation. Sometimes we cross over with ambivalence, glancing back over our shoulders with uncertainty and nostalgia. Sometimes we refuse to cross over at all. But what these stories today teach us is that thresholds are absolutely essential to a life of faith. Crossing over is what keeps our faith dynamic. Without thresholds, without evolution, without movement, our faith dies. And so to appreciate what's at stake in today's readings, we need some backstory. In 2 King, we learn that Elijah calls Elisha as his heir when Elijah is still a young man, dutifully plowing his father's fields. Directed by God, Elijah walks into the muddy field, wraps his cloak around Elisha, and calls him to a new vocation, a new way of life, a threshold moment. Years go by, and during this time, Elisha becomes Elijah's shadow. He follows his teacher around out of love, out of admiration, out of a keen eagerness to learn all that he can. The bond is so strong and so well known that when the time draws near for their parting, Elijah and the established community of prophets try to help Elisha say goodbye. I need to take the next step of this journey alone, he says to him. No, I will not leave you, Elisha stubbornly insists. Do you know the Lord is about to take your master? The prophets ask Elisha, hoping he'll accept the inevitable before it's too late. In his gracious reply, shut up. Elisha reacts as we might if we were standing at such a moment, such a threshold. A threshold of vocation, of identity, and of relationship. Everything he has known is about to change, and he is filled with, with fear. Can he trust his calling in the absence of Elijah's presence? Can he learn to decipher the, vo the voice of God on his own? Can he, a loyal and eager follower, become a leader instead? I imagine these are questions we understand too, 
Regardless of the, the particulars, we all know what it's like to get used to one way of being in the world. One way of knowing God, one way of knowing self, one way of practicing our vocation, one way of, of relating to our families, our friends, our community. By the time Elijah's ascension draws near, Elisha can't bear the thought of having his safety net ripped away. Who will God become in Elijah's absence? Who will Elisha become if he is forced to step into spiritual adulthood? If he is forced to evolve? In this story, as in our lives, there is no way, no way to avoid the thresholds that God appoints for each of us. The chariots come, the whirlwind descends, our lives change, our loved ones leave. As I reflect on this fiery display of, of God's power, I wonder, what did the drama accomplish? The wind, the fire, the chariots, the horses, what did it accomplish? Well, I think that epiphanies aren't be-alls and, and cure-alls first. You see, Elijah saw glory, that's for sure, but he also saw a point of no return. And his response was neither certitude nor joy. He tore his clothes and he, he grieved. Few scenes in the Bible are more poignant than the one that ends this story. As quickly as the vision comes, it departs again. There is no afterglow, no surge of prophetic authority or knowledge. Elisha lies grieving in the dust. Only silence, only loss, only questions. Why? Because it's not the vision that saves Elisha. The vision is glorious, of course, but divine wonders alone can't save us. Elijah's salvation comes in the long silence after the glory. It comes when he chooses to stand up, to shoulder his grief, to take up his teacher's mantle, to cross the threshold into a new and unfamiliar life. That's the glory, the crossing over. It's clear from the details in the story that this choice is neither easy nor inevitable. Yet the decision Elisha makes bears, bears witness to the faith epiphanies can forge in us when we make the hard choice to cross over. His was a battered faith, a trembling faith, a scorched faith, and yet in time, a faith that yielded abundant life.
The second reading for this week, Jesus' transfiguration, is steeped in theological understanding. Um, the short is, the transfiguration is important because it reveals Christ's divine nature. Check. Foreshadows his death. Check. And prefigures his resurrection. Check. And all of this is true, and no doubt, important. However, for me, the story pivots around Peter, James, and John. It is their story. It is their moment. The three terrified disciples who witnessed Jesus' transfiguration just about lose their minds. Like Elisha, these friends of Jesus have spent years following him around, listening to his teachings and witnessing his miracles. By the time Jesus invites them up to the mountaintop, they have perfectly good reason to believe that they know him. They know him as a teacher, a storyteller, a healer, and a traveling companion. His face, his manners, his mission are all familiar to them. Familiar, endearing, and safe. Yet there on the mountaintop, the unimaginable happens. Before their very eyes, he changes. Becoming at once both fully himself and fully unrecognizable. And suddenly, just like Elisha, Jesus' stunned disciples find themselves standing upon and at a threshold. The man they thought they knew is suddenly more and suddenly other. And the path he's walking towards Jerusalem and death is suddenly quite grim and far more horrific than they ever imagined. In other words, one phase of their life with Jesus is ending. What will it look like to begin another? They have journeyed with him as a minister, a rabbi, and a healer. Will they now journey with him towards the cross? Or will they insist, as Peter briefly does in, in the midst of his fear and confusion, on remaining exactly where they are, stationary and safe? I wonder... What would you have done? Chosen safety? Or chosen the journey towards the cross? I wonder what you will do today. The light of Epiphany has nearly faded. And we now prepare for the shadows of Lent. I don't know what thresholds you'll encounter in the wilderness. I don't know how God might invite you to change, to grow, to cross over in the days ahead. And I don't know what losses and sorrows those crossings will include for you. I do know, though, that without thresholds, without evolution, without movement, death is inevitable. For living faith is a moving and evolving faith. 
faith without movement is not faith. It's death. If this week's stories bear witness to something true about our life of faith, then we can trust in the one who invites us to cross over, to move and to change, to evolve. We can also trust that in the throes of uncertainty and fear, dying to the life we knew, to the way things always were, there is the promise of resurrection, and it awaits us on the other side. 